is one He is risen from the dead And now we'll rise When He calls my name No more sorrow No more pain Now we'll rise On eagle's wing Before my God Fall on my knees And rise I will rise There's a day that's drawing near When this darkness breaks to and the shadows disappear My faith shall be my eyes Jesus has overcome And the grave is overwhelmed Victory one he is risen from the dead and I will rise when he calls my name no more sorrow no more pain I will rise on eagle's wing before Fall on my knees and rise. 
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for meeting us in this place, God. We thank you for being able to come before you and worship. We thank you, Lord God, that one day you will call us by name. You will call us home. Until that time, Lord God, I pray that you fill us with the power of your spirit to be who you've called us to be. That we would realize, Lord God, as we study the book of Jeremiah tonight, God, that the spirit that you pour out upon us will give us the strength we need for every single thing we face. For every answer we must give. For every fight that we must fight. Until that day when you say, come home. Lord God, we pray that you would fill us, Lord Jesus, with that power, Lord God. Make us strong. May we be strong in you, Lord Jesus, in the power of your might. May put our faith not in, in man or man's strength, Lord, but that we would realize it's not by strength nor by power, but by your spirit, Lord. We pray that you move in this place. Give us eyes to see. In ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you hear me? <laughs> That's just too much fun. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles with you tonight, open up the book of Jeremiah. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Yeah, that's from too much fun. <clears throat> pay me now or pay me later. <clears throat> Jeremiah, we continue as we work our way through... Uh, the things that, that's going on in Jeremiah's life as he reaches out to, to a people that really don't want to hear from. And here's a cool thing. You know, we, we kind of put together, sat down and prayed about where the Lord would have us go in our studies. And the Lord led us to do Old Testament on Wednesday night and New Testament on Sunday morning and Old Testament prophets on Sunday night. And then we, here we are in the middle of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is going through exactly what Jesus talked about in Matthew that we talked about this morning in Matthew chapter 10. Only God orchestrates those things and puts those things together for us so that we can just really get a grasp of what, uh, what God's calling us to and how the Lord's directing us. Jeremiah finds himself in Jeremiah chapter 26 dealing with continued disappointment when the people don't want to receive. It's that concept of God had sent him out, right? Jeremiah chapter one, the Lord said, from the womb, I have called you. I have ordained you a prophet to the nations, not just Israel, 
prophet to the nations. And he gave him the power to, to raise up and tear down, to plant. And, and all these things we see Jeremiah doing in his ministry. But in chapter 26, chapter 26 is uh, behind the scenes events that were happening at the time he gave the sermon at the temple. The sermon at the temple we read about in, in chapter 7. And he's going to give us kind of behind the scenes glimpse of what was going on in, uh, in chapter 26. And then that will shine a light on what's going on in chapter 20, uh, 27 and 28. It says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house, and speak to all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not diminish a word. Do not diminish a word. Jesus, in talking and speaking to us in Matthew chapter 10, um, we didn't quite get to this part, but Jesus would say, whatever you hear me whisper in your ear, that speak. And the concept that Jesus is talking about is a rabbinical tradition on how they would teach homiletics. In other words, how they would teach the, the disciples how to teach, how to preach, how to herald. So what the rabbi would do, the rabbi's always taught in a seated position. So the rabbi would sit there and the students would sit beside him who was going to be doing the teaching. And then all the students stood. Can you imagine? They couldn't possibly have gone as long as I go, huh? It'd be a long time. The students all stand. And then the rabbi would whisper in the student teacher's ear. And as he whispered, he would speak. Now, Jesus carries that tradition on how they would teach homiletics or the ability to speak to their students and said, now, that's what you need to do when the Spirit of God is speaking into your ear, when God is speaking into your life. As he speaks, you speak. That's what he said to Jeremiah. Hey, when, whatever you hear me speak, you tell it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Hey, there are whole chapters in the Bible we would love to skip. But God says no. Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Genesis to Revelation, every, every word, every jot, every tittle is there for a purpose. For our admonition, to teach us, to help us grow. So he's to, he's to read everything that the Lord tells him to share. And then he goes on in verse 3. Perhaps, the Lord speaking, perhaps everyone will listen and turn away from his evil way, that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. And here's what you will say to them. Thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to heed the word of my servant, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and I will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. So the Lord is saying, listen, my goal in this message is your repentance. My goal is that you would repent, that you would say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Forgive me and move on. That's always God's goal in our life. God's desire in our life is we would walk with him. But here the prophet brings a message and he says, here's the message. If you don't turn, if you don't hear what it is that God is speaking, this was very early in Jeremiah's ministry. If you don't listen, then I'm going to make this place like Shiloh. Now they're in Judah and there's the temple. 
the temple that Solomon built. Now, we're not even really sure how that looked. All we know is in the days that they built it, there was so much gold and silver in the land, they stopped counting it. When's the last time you stopped counting money? They stopped counting it. They stopped dealing with it. It was just so plentiful. That's when they built the temple. All I know is when Ezra and Nehemiah, after the captivity in Babylon, so let's fast forward, Jeremiah, Babylon comes, conquers the people. They go into captivity for 70 years. Then they're released under the, the guidance of two men, Ezra and Nehemiah, and they come back and they rebuild the temple. And the, the old men, who were young children at the time of the captivity, who saw the temple, wept. They wept because they remember the glory of the old temple. And the fact that the new temple couldn't even hold a candle to it. Here the Lord is saying, I will make this place like Shiloh. What does that mean? Oh, you'll remember Shiloh. Shiloh's that place where Saul, as he's going into battle against the Philistines, decides, doesn't ask God, just decides he's going to put the ark in front of the army. Remember? The ark never went into battle. Or very seldom. So he put the ark thinking, if I put the ark in front, God won't let the Philistines take the ark. Well, the Philistines wiped out the army and took the ark. And the ark dwelt with the Philistines for several years, many years, until really the time of David when David brings it back. So the Lord says, if you don't obey, just the same way the defeat occurred in Shiloh and these things were lost, the ark was lost, those things are going to be lost again. And we'll see that as we continue through and we continue to look at what God is bringing to the people. So this is a word... Jeremiah says in the temple. Now the temple, that's like the greatest thing, most important thing in Jewish life was the temple. So to speak a word against the temple typically is going to upset people. Now, not that they necessarily cared about the Lord as much as it was an an icon of national pride. The temple. Well, it says the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And it happened... When Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, that the priests and the prophets and the people seized him, saying, You will surely die. Now this should remind us of someone else. Paul goes to the temple. He takes a Nazarite vow. He's there trying to, to, to reach out and, and convert some people uh, to Christianity, helping a brother who's going through a Nazarite vow. And as he does so, the people see him rise up in a tumult, a riot begins, and they snatch up Paul, and they want to kill him. They want to kill him right there in the middle of the temple. But by the way, that's the place where they're supposed to worship. But that's the way their heart was. Ultimately, it's the Romans who come to Paul's rescue, but Jeremiah, someone else is going to be coming to his rescue. Jeremiah is snatched up, and they're going to kill him. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house will be like Shiloh, and this city will be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. You know, Jesus said this morning that I am sending you out, how? As sheep among wolves. And here, all Jeremiah is doing is saying what God told him to say. He's not trying to start a fight. He's not trying to make anybody mad. He's just trying to say... What God laid upon his heart to say. But just like a sheep before wolves, the people want to rise up and just go after him. They're like, man, let's get him. We got to kill him. Right? Just like a wolf to a sheep. Just like a wolf to a sheep. But you remember the Lord goes on to say, so be wise as serpents. And what? 
harmless as doves. And when we look at what Jeremiah does, that's what we're going to see. So these people are ready to kill him. And the princes, when the princes of Judah heard these things, so they hear the tumult, they hear the, the revolt that's happening in the temple area, they come up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat down at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. So they, they sat down at the gate. The gate is the area where they would make judgment. So it would be the entrance. They sit down at that entrance to make their judgment. The princes gather around. And the priest and the prophet spoke to the princes and said to the people, This man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your ears. So they make their charge. You remember the Lord told us today as we studied Matthew chapter 10. When you're brought before the councils, when you're brought before the, 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 the governors and the kings, don't worry about what you will answer. The Holy Spirit will give you utterance, right? The Spirit will, will, will help you understand what to say, how to give your defense. And so that's what we see going on in Jeremiah's life. Jeremiah, who was filled by the Holy Spirit from the womb, the Scripture declared. So Jeremiah speaks his first argument in his defense. He says, I am not guilty by reason of obedience. I'm just doing what God said to do. He said... Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. So the first thing he says, I'm just doing what God says. And I want you to notice, Jeremiah's not angry. He's not looking for a fight or looking to cause a fight or, or to get his rights. We'll see that in just a moment. He is just matter-of-factly saying, Hey, the Lord sent me here. To share this word. And I have been obedient to what God said. The second thing he says, and really I'm not the one in danger. Though they have the opportunity to judge him, the real danger are those who are living in Jerusalem. Now therefore amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. So he says, listen, yes, I spoke against this city and this place, but ultimately, if you will make the choice, if you'll make the decision that says, hey, I am going to relent. I'm going to change. I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to change my focus. I'm going I'm to decide to follow and do what God has called me to do. Then he said, the Lord will relent. Destruction does not have to come. The people did not have to die. But they remained in their disobedience. My children never had to get spanked. Never had to. I never woke up one day and said, you know, I, haven't, I haven't whooped them for a while. Let's line them up and give them all a whooping. I never did that. There are lots of times I said, listen, if you don't knock it off, you are going to get a whooping. And they never had to get the whooping. But it's amazing how often if you've raised kids, sooner or later... They just begged for it. Daddy, please whoop me. That's what I was hearing anyway. Daddy, please whoop me. That's how the children of Israel were here. They didn't have to. They didn't have to face it. They didn't have to go through what they were going through. And so that's the second thing that Jeremiah says, the second point of his defense. All you have to do is repent and none of this stuff will happen. All you have to do is change your ways, change your direction, and the Lord will relent his doing. As for me, listen to what he says. Here I am. I'm in your hand. Do with me as seems good and prosper to you. Now that's pretty. That's a pretty killer attitude to me. 
Jeremiah, the people want to kill him. He knows what they want. Jeremiah says, hey, I'm doing what God told me to do. If you will only repent, these things won't happen in your life. Now you do whatever you think you need to do to me. To me, that is such a great picture of wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. He made his defense by the power of the Holy Spirit, which gave him utterance to to speak what he needed to speak in his defense. And then he said, here, I'm your whatever. Ultimately, Jeremiah's life was not in their hands anyway, was it? Jeremiah's life is in the hands of the Lord. So he says, do whatever seems right to you. And then he goes on and says, but know for certain, if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood on yourselves and on this city and on its inhabitants. For truly, the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. So if you kill me, you slay innocent blood. And so this is the, the argument that, or the defense that Jeremiah gives. But that's it. Okay, hey, you guys do whatever seems right to you. Now here are the princes. The rulers of Judah are sitting at the gate. The priests and the prophets, they want to kill him. The they're sitting there, the princes are sitting there. Jeremiah calmly gives his defense. Hey, you're going to do what you're going to do. He lays out for that defense. And then it says, the princes and all the people said to the priests and to the prophets. So now the rulers are talking to those who brought the charges against Jeremiah. This man does not deserve to die, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. They say the reason that, that Jeremiah should be released, not that he will be, but that he should be, He's just speaking in the name of the Lord. We don't always like the message that God brings, do we? I don't always like it. I, I don't, I'm not particularly fond of the verse that says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I'm not particularly fond of how many times Jesus, when he was approached and men said to him, Lord, I will follow you, his response to them wasn't great. We're so happy to have you. That's not what he said. He said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's not exactly an encouragement to come on. When people said, I want to follow you, the Lord said, hey, there's a cost to discipleship. There's a price to following me. The the world hates me. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. There's a lot of things in regard to the message that the Lord brings that are not things that we're particularly fond of. Or that we particularly like, but it doesn't change it from being God's word. And it doesn't change it from being true. And so the rulers, listening to what Jeremiah said and the charge that were brought against him, they say, hey, he's just sharing what God said. He's just bringing what God's word is, is laying out for us. And then certain of the elders of the land rose up and began to speak to all the assembly of the people. Now, all of a sudden, and this is such a little, for me, it's such a little bright point in Jeremiah's ministry because nobody ever listened to him. But now all of a sudden when they want to kill him, you have people popping up and, and lending to his defense. So you have the princess saying he's just speaking God's word. And then you have elders stand up and begin to share examples of how this had already happened in the past with other prophets and, and what the people did. So they use the example of Micah in verse 18. Micah of Moraseth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. And the mountain uh, of the temple will lay bare, be like the bare hills of the forest. 
Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all of Judah ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against him. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. So the, the elders stand up and they give defense to Jeremiah. Now, yes, nobody ever repented and changed. But when Jeremiah's life was on the line, there were people who stood up for him. People who said, hey, we need to hear the message that Jeremiah is bringing, just like when Micah brought that prophecy to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah sought the Lord and repentance, and God relented. That's what we need to do. We need to seek the Lord. We need to go before the Lord, and, and we not kill God's prophets. Jesus had that charge, didn't he, against the Pharisees? And so did uh, Stephen. Remember Stephen in Acts chapter 7 when he's laying out his defense and he's giving that great sermon? He says to the Pharisees, which of the prophets did your fathers not kill? That attitude of when God's people came and spoke God's word, they were like sheep among wolves. The people wanted to, to kill him or silence him any way they could. But here Jeremiah has someone stand up for him. Now in verse 20, another man. Now there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord. Uriah, the, the son of Shemaiah, the, from Kirath-Jerim, who prophesied against this city and against this land, according to the words of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim the king, with all his mighty men and all the princes, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid, and he fled, and he went to Egypt. And Jehoiakim the king sent men to Egypt, El-Nathan the son of Achbor, and other men who went with him to Egypt. And they brought Uriah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim the king who killed him with a sword and cast his dead body in the graves of the common people. Well, that doesn't sound like such a good example. Get the Micah one. But what are they saying here? Listen, this particular prophet, when he was prophesying, he got afraid of the, the threats from the king. And he fled to Egypt. It's a picture throughout scripture of running to the world for salvation rather than running to the Lord. He left the nation. And when he left the nation, it's as though he's saying, hey, I'm not loyal to this nation at all, and I'm running away. The difference is Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem the whole time. If the people wanted to kill him, they didn't have to look very far for Jeremiah. He was right there in Judah. He was right there. They could find him any time. When Babylon, when Nebuchadnezzar came and laid the siege, Jeremiah was in the walls with the people suffering just like them. Because he loved the people. And he was loyal to the nation. See, what the argument is, is unlike this other guy who, who fell back and trusted in the world rather than in the Lord, Jeremiah is here. You say he's disloyal. You say he's not a patriot, but he's here. He's speaking against the evils of our society, but he's here in our midst, suffering just like we are, going through the same things we are. So after the elders spoke, we come across this other character we, we read here at the close of the chapter. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah so that he would not give him uh, into the hand of the people to put him to death. Ahikim. Ahikim was one of the officials of the last good king of Judah. His name was Josiah. 
Jehoiakim's grandpa. That last good king. And Jehoiakim knew Jeremiah from the good days. From the days when the nation of Judah was following the Lord. And so he delivered Jeremiah from their hands. He, he took, them, took them away from that place. Now, Jeremiah gives us this insight, this, this look back in the past to this particular struggle. Because in chapter 27 and 28, he's going to look at a new one. And he wants us to recognize, just like God was with him then, at the beginning of his ministry, God is with him now. Just like God watched over him then, God is watching over him at this time. As we take a look in chapter 27. Chapter 27 says, So in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord to me, Make yourself bonds and yokes and put them on your neck. And send them to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre, the king of Sidon, by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judah. So God gives them a message. Now, every once in a while, God gives his prophets an object lesson to live out in front of the people. And this is one of those times. God says to Jeremiah, build a yoke and put it on. And then call for all these kings. Now, isn't it interesting that the Lord would say, call for all these kings? Here's what's happening. At this time, in chapter 27, Nebuchadnezzar has already conquered Judah. He's already taken the first wave of prisoners back to Babylon. He set up uh, a a king, uh, almost a puppet king in in Jehoiakim and and Zedekiah, we'll see in a minute. And he set this up and he said, now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to let you hear the rule, govern the people, and I, I got things to do. So Nebuchadnezzar went back. Now, all of a sudden in Nebuchadnezzar's life, about this time, there is a revolt in Babylon that he has to put down. There's an assault from an enemy army that tries to assault Babylon at the same time, thinking that Babylon's weak, that he has to deal with. And he's launching an attack against Syria. All that is happening at the same time. So the king of Judah is saying, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar's right for the picking. He's got all this stuff going on, and we can take him. So he calls for all these other kings in the other areas, because Babylon's conquering them all. And they all come to Jerusalem to meet with the king of of Judah to devise how they can rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. So at that moment, while they're all there, God says to Jeremiah, put a yoke on your neck, send out messages for them, because they're all there in town, and bring this message to them. And here's the message that he brings. They were coming to Zedekiah, the king of Judah. So here's Zedekiah, the puppet, that's set up. And command them to say to their masters, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus you shall say to your masters. So... The Lord is like making this little taunt toward them. Hey, you guys think that you're the master of your own destiny. But you need to understand that you're not. Ultimately, what God is saying is, God is saying that he rules over the kingdoms of the earth. And this is what he says. I have made the earth. This is the Lord speaking. The man and the beast that are on the ground. By my great power and by my outstretched arm. And I have given it to whom it seemed proper to me god says i set up the kingdoms of the world 
And who rules when? Not man. The Lord does it according to his plan. So this is the message. God is saying he rules over the kingdoms. And all the kings are gathered there devising an attack against Nebuchadnezzar. And he says in verse 6, And now, the Lord speaking, I have given all these lands, all those kings that were mentioned, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. I love that God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. At this time, Nebuchadnezzar is about the meanest, honoriest guy on the face of the earth. He's not a very good guy. He's not very nice. There is Nebuchadnezzar, and if somebody upsets him, he just heats up a fire and throws him in it, right? If they don't bow down to his statue, he, he heats up the fire seven times hotter and flings him in. He don't care. He's in charge. He's ruling the world. And he ruled the world with a rod of iron. I mean, he was mean, ornery, and nasty. But God says, he's my servant. Why? Because God knows around Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is going to know that he Almighty God is God Most High. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to put his trust in him. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to write part of chapter 4 of Daniel and provide it as a proclamation throughout all the lands of Babylon announcing that the God of Daniel is God Most High. And he lays those things out. The Lord knows that already. It hasn't happened yet. But he calls... Nebuchadnezzar his servant because even now before Nebuchadnezzar's life is surrendered to Almighty God is still directing him and God is still using him as a servant he goes on to say in the beasts of the field I have also given to him to serve hey he's given him everything he's given it all to him so all nations will serve him and his son and his son's son catch that because we'll see that in Daniel Until the time of his land comes. And then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. So he says Nebuchadnezzar is going to rule him, his son, and his son's son. We know his son's son's name. His name was Belshazzar. Belshazzar was the king, remember at the time when you had the handwriting on the wall? Many, many, tekel, you farsen. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Today your kingdom is stripped from you. And the Medes and the Persians, the United Kingdom conquered Babylon. And so, just like the scripture prophesied hundreds, thousands, perhaps years before it occurred, so here we see the the word laying this out. This is a plan. This is what's going to happen. This is how long Babylon is going to rule. Now look at verse 8. And it shall be that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck... Under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish, says the Lord. God says, listen, you have a choice. Putting on that yoke was an act of submission. Submit to the king. I have brought the king here. God says, this is all part of my purpose and my plan. Get with my program and we're good to go. Rebel against it and I'll punish you. Because you're battling not against Nebuchadnezzar. You're fighting against me. God's plan. And God's purposes. So he goes on and says, I will punish you with the sword, with famine, with pestilence, until I have consumed them, how? By his 
hand. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to conquer Jerusalem three times. The third time, he's going to destroy it totally. Listen, none of those people had to die. None of them. Jeremiah the prophet was there in the land telling them, this is God's plan. This is God's plan. Submit to God's plan. Allow God to work. Go and live in peace in Babylon. It's not as though their life was going to be like it was in Egypt. The Babylonians, when they conquered, they, they were like the melting pot of the Mideast. They brought you in, made you a part of their society, and you just became a, a citizen of Babylon. It wouldn't be necessarily all slaves. It wouldn't necessarily be all bad. God said, just go in. Allow this chastening of the Lord to occur and live. But they would not. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't listen. So the scripture goes on. Therefore, do not listen to your prophets or your diviners or your dreamers or your soothsayers or your sorcerers who speak to you and say, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you, to remove you far from your land, and I will drive you out, and you will perish. God says, listen, if you don't get with the program, you're going out. You're going to be cast out of the land. But the nations that bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell in it. You don't even have to leave. Just be good servants of the king and King Nebuchadnezzar. Zedekiah could have ruled them the whole time. Instead, Zedekiah's rebellion is going to bring him to the point where he is going to watch every one of his sons be murdered in front of his eyes by King Nebuchadnezzar, and then Nebuchadnezzar is going to poke his eyes out. So that's the last thing he ever sees. He didn't have to have that. All he had to do was submit. And so the the Lord says in verse 13, Why will you die, you and your people, by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Therefore, don't listen to the words of the prophets who speak to you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Yet they prophesy a lie in my name that I may drive you out and that you may perish, you and the prophets who prophesy to you. Listen, the Lord, and I think this is an important concept to understand. We always need to be wary when we speak the words, thus saith the Lord. If you say that, you better know what you're saying is what the Lord is saying. Because the Lord says of these prophets, who I'm sure were sincere, I never sent them. And I didn't give them that message. They're speaking on their own. And they're speaking and prophesying lies to you. So the Lord says, don't listen to them. In verse 16, he says, Also I spoke to the priests and to all these people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Do not listen to the words of your prophets who prophesy to you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie. Here's what the priests were saying. Early, the first conquest, when Nebuchadnezzar came, he took Daniel. Everybody remembers Daniel, right? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or we know him as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He took them, and he took the vessels out of the temple. 
all the gold and the things that were used within the temple. He took all that. It's gold, man. He, he wanted it, so he took it. And the prophets were saying, don't worry. Any time now, we're going to get that stuff back. And Nebuchadnezzar's going to go away, and it's all going to be okay. And Jeremiah says, no, you're not. You're not getting the vessels back. And we know the vessels don't come back anytime soon because remember Belshazzar when he's getting drunk and having that party when God comes and writes on his wall? What was he drinking out of? The vessels from the temple. The things that these other false prophets are saying are going to come back. Jeremiah is saying they're not coming back. This is not going away. This is going to occur. Man, we got to just trust in what God is doing and allow God to do his work. But... The people would not hear. He says, do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should the city be laid waste? Again, we see the same concept. Jeremiah bringing a message that the people don't want to hear. Just like a sheep sent to wolves. If you can imagine a pack of wolves and a sheep going in to try to tell the wolves what's going on in the world. Are they listening? Are they hearing? Do they care? Yet there he is, Jeremiah, being faithful in the power that God has given him to share that message. Guys, the city doesn't have to be laid waste. Jerusalem did not have to be destroyed. The temple did not have to be ground down to the ground. But the same problem with the people and God's people then is the same problem now. They would not have God rule over them. And we say, you and I will say, oh, that's an easy decision. Lord, I'll have you rule over me. Really? What happens on the day when you're standing in front of the doctor and the doctor says you have cancer? Maybe you're like Dan Marks over at at Lighthouse who goes in for a checkup, not feeling very good, and finds out they're telling him six weeks or less. Is God still your king? Is God still your king when that's the word? When God says... Put on this yoke. Submit to me. This is the plan I have for your life. This is what I want to do in you. This is what I want to do for you and through you. And maybe God does a miracle and maybe he doesn't. But that's the road God has called him to. And I know in his case, he loves the Lord. His wife loves the Lord. And they're, they're totally on board with the Lord being his king. And we know that's true for for people within our own fellowship with Jeannie Reynolds going through what she's going through or Anna Luer's going through what she's going through. It's easy and it's all just words when we roll it off our tongue and say, well, yeah, for sure I submit to the Lord. That's easy. Uh, Not always easy. Sometimes the Lord says, I want you to serve this king. And he's ornery and he's mean and it ain't good. But it's my will. Will he be your king? For them, the people of Israel, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't submit. They wouldn't bow. They wouldn't receive that which God had for them. So the Lord goes on. But if they are prophets that are speaking in verse 18, and if the word of the Lord is with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah and at Jerusalem, do not go to Babylon. He says, instead of prophesying that they're coming back, do something useful and pray for the ones we still have. That they don't go. Yes, by the way, they went. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars, concerning the sea, concerning the carts, concerning the remainder of the vessels that remain in the city. Understand, these are part of the temple. The pillars, one of the pillars' name was Boaz. The sea, that's the brazen laver, the bronze. The, in, in heaven, it's called the crystal sea. It's the area where we have all been cleansed. The cleansing of the priests would take place. It's the, the carts that they used in the service of the Lord and the vessels. <clears throat> it says in verse 20, Which Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, did not take when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from Jerusalem to Babylon and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. And again, that's when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went. Yes, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and the house of the king of Judah and Jerusalem. They, too, shall be carried to Babylon. And there they shall be until the day I visit them, says the Lord. Then I will bring them up and restore them to this place. So the Lord is saying, listen, it's not going to be like they say. Actually, we don't see those vessels come back until the book of Ezra, chapter 1 and 2. And then those things begin to come back as the Medes and the Persians rule. And God releases his people from captivity to go back home again. Now, we go, we're going to go on in chapter 28 because the same thing is still going on. It says, now it happened in the same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah... In the fourth year, the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, The son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. This is one of the false prophets, Hananiah. And so you understand, there Jeremiah has just given this speech about bow down, take the yoke. He's wearing the yoke himself. And then here comes Hananiah comes down and he gives this prophecy. Oh no, that's not what's going to happen. Two years, it's all coming back. Two years, it's all going to be okay. In two years, this is what's going to happen. And the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and the presence of the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, the Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. The first thing that Jeremiah does in response is he prays, in essence, I hope you're right. I hope you're prophesying the truth. Because it would be great. Jeremiah even is willing to pray a prayer that says, I hope you're right and I'm wrong. But they both can't be right, right? They both can't be speaking the truth. Somebody is lying. In verse 7, Jeremiah goes on, Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me And before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war, disaster, and pestilence. And for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has really sent. So Jeremiah doesn't get angry. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a soft answer turns away wrath. He says to him, here's the test. 
If you're prophesying peace and the king of Babylon is going to be wiped out in two full years, we'll know you're sent by the Lord in two years when it happens. If it doesn't happen, you're not sent from the Lord. You're not the Lord's. So Jeremiah says, in essence, hey, the proof was going to be in the pudding. The proof is, here, buddy, you're on probation until we see what you said is true. Then Hananiah, after hearing what Jeremiah said, then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off of prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of the people saying, Thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. But you notice what Jeremiah did? He didn't stand there and argue with him. He didn't stand there and fight. He said, And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Reminds me of David. When Absalom, his son, was coming in rebellion against him. And he was going to take Jerusalem and there's going to be this big war. You know what David did? He left. He didn't fight Absalom. He said, I'm leaving. Hey, look, if God wants me to be king, there's nothing Absalom can do to take it. Even if I leave the city. If God wants this to occur, if, if God has made Absalom now his anointed, I won't strike God's anointed. Hey, if this is what the Lord wants, so be it. If not, the Lord is going to work it out. Jeremiah, he was faithful, right? As a lamb before, as a, as, a, as a sheep sent to wolves, here he comes. He shares the message. He shares the truth. Here comes this wolf down out. He snatches the yoke off his neck. He breaks it. He ridicules him. He says, no, you're wrong. Here's the truth. Here's what the word really says. Jeremiah doesn't get into a big fight with him. He already spoke what the word of God had said. And then he said, okay. And he left. He just walked away. He just walked away. Following the direction of his Lord and Savior. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broke the yoke about the neck of the prophet Jeremiah. And he said to Jeremiah, go and tell Hananiah. So he brings this message to Hananiah saying, thus says the Lord, you have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron was going to be yokes of wood. But now, because of your false prophecy, it's going to be yokes of iron. was going to go easy. Now it's going to go hard. It was going to be nobody had to die. Now they're all going to be slaughtered. Because they're going to believe your prophecy that it came from me. And the Lord said, I didn't say to say that. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. And I have given him even the beasts of the field also. And the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people to trust in a lie. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died that same year in the seventh month. So here we see an example to me of God sending out sheep among wolves, of them being wise as serpent and harmless as does, trusting in the power of God and not in his own wisdom. And even as God delivered him early in his ministry, we see the Lord do it again. But also we can begin to understand when the scripture tells us, let not many of you desire to be teachers. 
for you will fall under a stricter condemnation. For if you say, thus saith the Lord, it better be, thus saith the Lord. Not what you think maybe it could be. That's not the same thing. Hananiah meant well. Maybe he meant to inspire the people. But the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is death. We're called to do it God's way. Under God's direction. Not by strength. Not by power. But by the Spirit, says the Lord. Trusting in Him. And He will give us the words we need. Even as He gave Jeremiah. And He will be our defense. Even as He was for Jeremiah. And so the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, these things are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the age has come, that we would learn. There we see it working. Here we see Jesus talking about it. It all fits together. Let's pray. Lord God, we just come to you tonight. Father, we close out this evening in just an attitude of prayer. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we pray that your spirit would move in this place, Lord Jesus. Father, we, we come to you, so many things on our hearts, so many, so many uh, heartaches and tragedies. And Lord, we, just, uh, we pray for Dan over at, uh, at Lighthouse, Lord. He's having a, a dinner. They're having a dinner over there tonight as a, as a fundraiser, Lord. And all this is just you know, occurred within the very short period of time. But Lord, we know that you are the God who holds each of our breath in his hand. It doesn't matter what man says. It only matters what God says. Lord, maybe it is his time. Maybe you are calling him home. I don't know, Lord Jesus, but we pray that you would do a perfect work in his life. That you would touch him with an amazing healing. That you give he and his wife strength for the journey that is laid out before them. And Lord, we pray for our own. We pray for Jeannie. We pray for Jeannie who day by day is getting weaker. But Lord, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is your plan, your road for her that you've called her to walk. And we want to be faithful, Lord. We want to be faithful to come to you and say, God, heal. God, move. That may be what you're looking for from us as, as brothers and sisters to come to you and not be afraid to say, Lord, bring your healing. God, you can touch her. So that's how we pray, Lord. We don't have to make excuses for you, Lord. We pray that you would bring your healing, that you would give strength to, to Dean, that you would bring comfort to the family. Lord, we pray for Anna Lures in the midst of her struggle with cancer. And I thank you, God, that she's still serving. I thank you that she still is, is running children's ministry. I thank you that she hasn't used it as an excuse or a reason why she shouldn't have to be around so much. She just trusts you and keeps going. And says, none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. That I may finish my race with joy. God, we pray for a healing. We pray for an incredible move of your spirit, Lord. We pray for our brother Jim and 
We pray, God, that you would heal him and that you would touch him even, even more than a year after his, his brain injury, God. You could wipe it all away in a word. And we're not afraid to ask, Lord. We're not afraid to believe. We're not afraid to trust. And we're not afraid to submit to your will. Because it is always good. It is always for your glory. It is not just to bring destruction or pain. God, we pray that your spirit would move among us, your people. And that we, day by day, would be who you're calling us to be. That we would fulfill that call. That we would go out, even as Jeremiah did, as sheep among wolves. Not afraid. And speak the words that you whisper into our ear. Give the the word that you call us to give. Lord, as we come before you now in this time of open prayer, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would move, that you would guide us, that you would lead us to your throne of grace, and that you would be glorified in this place.